Now the world don't move to the beat of just one drum What might be right for you may not be right for some A man is born, he's a man of means Then along come two, they got nothing but the genes They got different strokes it takes, different strokes it takes Different strokes to move the world Armchair quarterback can feel it in Bronco. The views and opinions presented on the I'm No Joe channel belong solely to the person expressing it, no one else. If we say it, then we meant it. That being said, this show does contain adult themes, adult content, and general shit that you shouldn't be letting your kids intake. Be advised, viewer discretion is recommended. Proceed at your own risk. You've been warned. If it's Thursday, it's I'm No Joe. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of appropriate age, to the latest episode of the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like Eddie Bravo. Today, unlike most days, we have got a whole shitstorm and snafu afoot that has to be dealt with before we get into the shitstorm and snafu that is this weekend's upcoming all punchy, no kicky card. So here's the skinny boys and girls. We got a little thing here on the I'm No Joe podcast we call the pit, where we end our show with a trivia-esque contest questionnaire type of game show-esque feel. Uh, generally, it's a pretty damn good time. Uh, things have gone back and forth. We've had several different champions run the roost. Uh, for the most part, uh, this gentleman right here has been rocking the show. But for the first time since the introduction of the pit, we had someone beat TJ not once but twice his first double loss in the history of the pit. That boys and girls is where the controversy comes into play because the deciding factor, the winning point given to poor TJ's opponent last week was based off of his I guess the best way to phrase it is going to be emphatic pleading for and embracing of 
one Jonathan Martinez. Valid point at the time seemed very efficient. Seemed like he was uh, on a bit of a roll there. And then we have Saturday roll around. Everyone gets through, weigh-ins finish up, and we get news that of all the fighters on the card for Saturday, every single one of them makes weight and is ready to go, uh, save for one individual. That one individual, as you may guess, was Jonathan Martinez. Now, not only did Jonathan Martinez not make weight, which is his third time in five fights missing weight, uh, he had such a hard time cutting down and still missing weight, he was hospitalized and they had to scratch his entire fight from the card. Ironically, the only fight stripped from last week's card for any reason. And this brings into contention. This is the first time we have had someone make a point to get a point, literally. And then the person that they used, the thing that they based their entire emphatic argument on, not only was wrong, but didn't even happen. So this brings into question here. We've got a situation. Uh, technically, RJ's entire game-winning point was based on a literal fallacy. Uh, and I'm not saying this to make any kind of a personal attack here. I'm saying the entire premise of his point that won him his second title was based on an entire lie that we just didn't have the ability to see at the time. So, much like 1FC has called into review last weekend's bantamweight title match despite the judge's decision we here at i'm no joe to uphold the integrity of the pit and our judging going forward have called in the official pit athletic commission to take a vote on how we should handle this situation going forward uh many of the members of the I'm no Joe athletic pit commission could not unfortunately be here today to make their presence vocally known. Uh, fortunately for you, I being the president of the commission am here uh, golf tee being a member of that commission and former competitor, current competitor still, but a former champion currently uh, is available here. And we do have one more special member of the athletic commission panel. If he would ever check his fucking messages to see that it's time for him to uh, hop in and give his vote. Uh, presumably that oh. other member. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I knew I we'd get around here somewhere. I put on my membership cloak today. There you go. There you go. Okay. So uh, as you find folks can see, uh, we have a literal tribunal here. Um, I have asked several other people uh, who have both competed and not competed on the show, uh, their thoughts forming what would be the commission. And I now see that uh, OBS is freaking the fuck out. So give me just one moment here. I can fix.
Let's see. We should be picking back up. Let's see if my sweet kung fu moves come across the TV here. Uh, I can see my kung fu fighting. There we go. We have got everybody is kung fu fighting. All right. So uh, we should officially be back at it. Uh, for those of you who are uh, unaware, we were attempting to broadcast in uh, 720, 50 frames per second, and that apparently is just a scooch too much for OBS to handle on this current broadcast machine. So we're back to 30, and that should smooth things back over. That being said, um, we have got our first official piece of I'm no Joe Pitt controversy, as it were. So um, I will say for the record, of all the uh, athletic commission members that I spoke with personally and could not be present to issue their vote, uh, there was a total of one in favor of letting RJ keep the point that is in question. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to matter because much like whose line is it anyway, the rules are made up and the points don't matter. But I am saying for posterity's sake, give credit where credit is due, like it or not, uh, there was one vote in favor of allowing RJ to keep this point. So that being said, we have got a literal tribunal here and we will make the final call. So gentlemen, I pose the question to you. Under these strangest of circumstances here, do we allow RJ to keep the point or do we remove retroactively that point making last week's call a no contest? I'm going to step in just because I'm going to say my point doesn't matter here much because I was part of this pit that took place. However, um, this is, can go both one two ways. Yeah, he could keep the point. But in my honest opinion, I don't think he does because there's one thing he failed to do when he brought up that. And that was check one person's background for failing to make weight previously. And it's happened on more than one occasion. Therefore, there is a giant red fucking flag there that said, said hey, we probably shouldn't be doing this. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And I'm just saying say. what and I said I the guy to watch was at the time was obviously the guy to watch, albeit he almost got knocked out. Right. He ended up knocking somebody else out in return. So I'm just saying, if it's me and if I take myself out of the equation and I look at it purely from the way he thought about it, I liked where his head was at. However, not doing enough homework to know that your guy has missed weight more than once is a problem because that leads to things like this where those matches go kaput. So if it's me taking myself out of the equation, I say you have to take the point from him purely on the basis of not doing his homework enough to know that that was a possibility. That's that's kind of how I look at it as well. And and like I said, not to put the, the blame entirely on RJ here, this is partially my fault as well, because in the moment of trying to judge both points of view, I also missed the fact that he was talking about the same Jonathan Martinez who had already previously missed weight twice in two different weight classes at that. So uh, retroactively going back, as soon as I saw who had missed weight, going back and doing my own due diligent research. And then I realized 
the situation we were looking at, that's when the controversy came into play. So again, removing myself from the equation, being the judge that obviously missed that in the moment, uh, retroactively, I, I have to agree. Uh, given I were the competitor or his competitor in that situation, I would as well vote for the point to be removed. I also have to take a partial of that blame because I could have brought that up at the time, but That's I did said, not. It, so that was also a failure moment, on my yeah. own part. So it's kind of a thing, but still, if you're the guy using it as the point, myself removed, you have to do your homework and make sure that the guy you're talking about, eh, there's a legitimate knowledge of, of does he miss weight or exactly not. why we're having our uh, tribunal meeting here. <laughs> no. Now, come, coming from a guy who just talks off the wall, like myself, um, now he missed weight. Did the fight happen? No, they had to scratch the entire fight. So the other I guy mean, lost his fucking money, too. So if the question was based off a fight that was going to happen and the fight didn't happen, I mean, that kind of makes that question void, right? That's that's definitely a way to look at it here. And, and that's the thing is that if we agree as a tribunal that that question becomes void because the fight that the point was given for never actually took place, uh, that officially means we decide that last week was our first official no contest in the pit. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just saying I'm not going to make that ruling all on my own here. This is why I'm consulting the masses. I'm not going to say to void the question because the question we've used multiple times in the pit. Right. or of some iteration thereof but to avoid the answer itself because right right once that answer is no longer applicable then it voids the answer the question is a very valid question of who should be we be looking out for that's flying under the radar right oh no i, I understand i just said void it out for that series of the pit you know well, understandable just making sure that we have the same clarity going on there all right so I will call an official vote of the I'm No Joe Pitt Athletic Commission Tribunal. All in favor of allowing RJ to keep his controversial point from last week, please raise your right hand. <laughs> All in favor of stripping RJ of his game-winning point based on fallacy from last week, Please raise your right hand. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it has been ruled and declared such publicly. The tribunal has spoken. The point shall be removed. Last week's victory is officially being stripped from the record. It is now the first official no contest in pit history. Mr. Fellow Clown Punch Commissioner, I thank you very much for your time, sir. You guys rock on. I'll be seeing you soon. No worries. Bye. All right. And for those wondering, it has officially been written in the books as, where'd it go? There it is. No contest. It is official. It is in red ink and everything. So, that being said, The kid should be here later. He's closing up work. He should be here in time for the pit this evening. That being said, other than the controversy, we just had to get out of the way. How you doing this week, TJ? Another lovely week in paradise. You know, 
having a wonderful week of knowing that I'm getting ready for Halloween. I'm in full Halloween mode. Uh, which is great that there is no fucking UFC this weekend because it allows me to fully focus on the things that I want to get done as far as props are concerned. Because, you know, God knows I'm not tuning in for fucking shitty boxing. Oh, I meant city boxing. Or, no, no, no. I came out right. It was shitty boxing. I got that right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you, you absolutely got that correct. So, uh, that being said, uh, as we generally like to start things around here, uh, I want to do a quick little recap from last weekend's actual UFC event that went down because there was some very, very interesting turnabouts. Um, the first thing we've got to talk about here, Juicy J might have snuck in the luckiest fucking submission grab I have ever fucking seen. Um, he was getting worked fairly well uh, for the better part of the fight. They were going back and forth, but I could not but in good conscience say uh, Juicy J was getting the better of those exchanges going into the scramble that led to the submission. Um, but that being said, he did land a very fucking smooth choke. Um, he got it, got the win against Jordan. My, I think my biggest issue with that was uh, – when he got on the microphone afterwards, he made one of the strangest non-callouts I remember hearing in recent times. Uh, he quite literally said that the only person he wanted to call out was if Patty Pimblett decided he wanted to come back down to 45 pounds instead of staying at 55, that he'd be here waiting for him. Patty Pimblett quite literally signed with the UFC to take over the lightweight division. Uh, he has expressed that he has no real interest in going back to 45, uh, even though he has done it in the past. Uh, he's comfortable. He feels that he does his best work at 55, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. So the fact that Julian made a, a call out that wasn't really a call out for a dude who's not in the weight class just because he's fought at the weight class before, after the submission, the whole thing just kind of left a weird taste in your mouth. You know what I mean? Just a little odd, I think is the good word. Um, I will say this, um, Jack Shore came in like a fucking sugar fueled chihuahua. Uh, that dude was all over the fucking place from the time that bell rang. Um, my issue with that fight is that the gentleman that he was across the octagon from was a round two loser from the ultimate fighter. And Ludwig seems like a nice enough dude. He really does. Uh, but I don't understand what in the fuck inspired the UFC to give him this opportunity as a genuine regular UFC fighter when he was easily handled by a fellow up-and-coming amateur in the ultimate fighter here. Um, so my biggest problem with this fight wasn't that Jack Shore got the W uh, by decision. Uh, he, he absolutely earned that. He outpointed the living shit out of Ludwig from start to fucking finish. My issue was with all the hype coming in behind Jack Shore, he couldn't finish a tough house flunky. Like, 
if this were a numbered pay-per-view and they were in a stadium with 35,000 people cheering their fucking heads off, I could understand that the, the bright lights might be a little much for a debut like that or for a, a big, you know, a big showing like that for Jack Shore. Uh, but they were in the apex where there was 173 people and I believe 84 of them were English or English fans. So the, the British uh, crowd had the vast majority of the cheering section of anyone in the apex in Las Vegas, which was weird enough unto itself. Um, and then he still couldn't put away a tough house flunk out. I hope his next performance is a lot better because there is a lot of hype behind him. But from what we saw last weekend, I'm, I'm not sold. Very meh. Um, speaking of very meh, uh, the meatball versus fire fists. Uh, the ladies fight, Molly McCann versus Gian Kim was legitimately one of the most exciting fights of the entire fucking card. It, it really, really was. Um, my problem is that much like the Jack Shore fight, uh, Molly didn't really do a whole lot that we hadn't seen. And honestly, I struggle a little bit to see how she won that even on points. Um, I, I think that was a, a damn close fight. I would, I gave it in the moment and still even watching it, three times after last weekend, I still think that Kim won that fight. Uh, I think I'm more mad about it than Kim was, honestly. But uh, I, I think my biggest issue was that that got Molly uh, fight of the night money because that was given fight of the night bonus. Uh, and then that got Molly on this big, long rampage about how, you know, she came from nothing and now she's making UFC money and she's paying off her house and blah, blah, blah. And she's trying to inspire other people. And, that's all well and good, but you're not really much of an inspiration when you're mediocrely point fighting to a decision. Like that's not the moment to go off on that inspiration tangent. That being said, uh, that brought us into the main card and holy shit. Did they open that fucking main card with some fucking excitement? Um, the, the, the fifth beetle himself, came in with all the fucking guts and gusto you would absolutely expect to have after the fucking massive, massive hype train parade that they brought Patty Pimblett into the UFC with. Um, I think this is one of those situations, though, where even though he tried to stay cool, calm, and in the moment, you could tell that uh, Patty Boy was high on his own supply just a little bit. He had taken a maybe one or two too many whiffs of smelling what he was selling and he went in there a little sloppy and a little reckless and luigi vendermini fucking cracked him and almost put him to fucking sleep in the first 15 seconds of the fucking fight um lucky for patty pimblet though uh luigi vendermini uh has a chin made out of sugar glass uh so his uh punching power does not equate to his punch absorbing ability as it were and a couple of good shots from Patty and Luigi quite literally locked up and fell down the fucking cage. And that was all she wrote. Again, much like the Molly situation just a moment ago, uh, that gave Patty the chance to come in and go all fucking crazy. And of course they had Michael Bisbing of all people fucking in ring octave in ring 
Octagon interviewing, see, live words. Uh, so that just added to the, the crazy UK fest that was already going on. Um, I will say, though, probably the smartest thing Patty Pimblett could have done was when Bisping came up to him with that fucking microphone and said, you're here, you've made a debut, you've made your statement, who do you want to call out? He very cleverly said, I don't want to call anyone out because I'm the new kid on the block. And after this performance in the next week, everyone will call me out. Just watch. I won't have to do anything. To his credit, I've seen three, not counting Juicy J's dumbass fucking featherweight call out since Saturday night. So he absolutely was correct in that. I think as long as he pumps his fucking brakes, goes slow about this and doesn't try and jump the fucking shark, he might legitimately have a chance at making something here. Yeah, I but think he has to understand. Gonna, like, you got to slow roll it. You can't go crazy. I think the UFC lights got him at the beginning there because he was a little wild coming out of the gate. And to be yes. quite honest, I'm surprised we didn't see any jujitsu out of him. That's what I was going to say. And for the guy who's known for his fucking groundwork, the fact that this fight stayed on the feet was kind of surprising. And I think most surprisingly, it's not just his groundwork. He throws jujitsu from fucking everywhere. Yes. Like you go back and watch some of his highlight jujitsu finishes. We're talking flying arm bars, flying triangles, fucking crazy shit that people don't generally do in professional mixed martial arts. Patty's been doing it in professional mixed martial arts, just on a different promotion, which to be quite honest, I was expecting some of that, especially after he got rocked. But no. He wanted to dole some back out, and my hat's off to him for that. But I'm glad he got cracked, though, because that kind of settled him down, I noticed, where he kind of yeah, came back to level. But no, his call out was fucking fantastic. I think the best call out, though, was Bisbing saying, well, he almost got knocked out there. That yeah, was probably Bisping the called him out call. on it in the moment. <laughs> Although, to his credit, Patty Quick on Wit, whatever fucking nationality of Brit he is, nope, we don't get knocked out. Okay, dude. Way to be quick on the mic with him. I appreciate that. That's a good, that tells me when it comes time for him to have high level fights and that talk back and forth shit, there's going to be some witty comebacks there, even if he's a little dazed. Yeah, he's ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be very interesting to see where Patty Pimblett goes forward from here. Uh, That being said, that will bring us to. Uh, what I have said in the moment, and I stand by that statement, the most disturbing injury I have ever seen happen live in 30 plus years of watching combat sports. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not saying this for entertainment value. I am telling you 100% genuine, no bullshit. This was the most disturbing injury I have ever watched live with my own two fucking eyes. It's It's literally a double-edged sword of a story. On one hand, there are many, many, many people who have tried for years now to get this particular move banned from mixed martial arts as a whole. There are also, ironically enough, many, many people, including Modeskas Bukaskas, after the fact, who have stood up for this particular move and said, no, there's no reason it should be banned. I should have done a better job defending against it. The move we're talking about here is the oblique kick. 
John Jones is one of the most notable guys for throwing it. John Jones throws it as more of a push kick to the oblique or as like an oblique kick meant to push you backwards. Khalil Roundtree threw it in the tie style, chopping downwards. And he threw it once, literally, I think it was seven seconds before he landed. And Bacoscus just had literally stepped out of the way and you saw it go through and nobody thought anything of it. And then literally, I believe it was seven seconds later, Bacoscus went to throw the left jab again. And when he did, Khalil comes out with that fucking chopping oblique kick and it landed directly on Modescus's knee as it was still turned sideways and it hit at such an angle that turned the wrong direction the knee still bent all the way backwards and then he fell and fucking landed on it and it went flat to the fucking ground The backstage doctors, upon initial examination, said it looked very much like there was most likely ACL, MCL, PCL, if not tears, then hyperextensions and some serious possible ligament damage and potential bone breaks from how high up on the leg it started bending when he landed on it. Um, we know, yes, Tommy, uh, we know due to Modesca's social media that he has been to the doctor for an MRI. The bitch part of it is that he has not in 48 hours since that happened, given hide nor hair of answer what the actual outcome of it was. Uh, we know that leg got fucked up in some fashion. There is no fucking doubt. But the crazy part about it, like I said, is that he came out immediately afterwards and said that there is no fucking reason that kick should be banned. It's his job to have defended it, and he didn't. And immediately after the match, there is a video of Khalil Roundtree going directly out of the fucking octagon to the fucking stretcher where they are taking Bukaskis to the fucking hospital and there's nothing but respect between the two of them. There's no hard fucking feelings. Modeskis completely understood the fucking move that he made and Khalil even said, we saw something in the way he throws his jab and that was something that I tried to set up earlier and couldn't pull off. And then they show the replay of eight seconds prior where he does exactly that. It reminded me almost of Connor in the fucking back in the locker room practicing that step off fucking left that he fucking laid Jose out with. We saw that move getting fucking practiced. And in this fight Saturday, we saw Khalil try and land that fucking oblique kick with a spin, not 10 seconds before it actually did. And he came real close on the first one. The second one ended the fucking fight. Um, obviously no damage was intended, but that was specifically a move that they had trained for that. They saw how he could be set up to the way that he threw his jab and sure the fuck enough in the moment, Khalil read it and he fucking got it beautifully. Um, props on a win, but Holy shit. Was that hard to fucking watch? Yeah, that was one of the, not, that's that ranks up there with the, Anderson Silva, Chris Weidman, fucking ankle break, uh, fucking yeah. leg break injuries, man. Because that one was, it was hard to watch, especially when they slowed it down and re-showed it. To be quite honest, yeah. I was surprised that they did, especially considering this was on ESPN. 
you generally don't see them doing things like that. Or, well, technically this was ESPN plus, but still you don't generally see them doing stuff like that. Cause even if you're watching like a professional football game on any other network TV, ESPN, somebody gets an injury like that. They are not showing a replay. They're just not fucking doing it. I get it with MMA. You want to see the move that actually led to it. Cause it's part of MMA. Part and of event, yeah. Look, hats credit where credit is due here. If Khalil Roundtree and his team saw that and they were training for that, fucking hats off to them because they saw something and they knew it was going to work. It was just a matter of when. And even bigger hats off to Bukakis for fucking saying, you know what? That's part of the game. I understand the risks when I get in there. It's my job to stop those things from happening. Fucking absolute legend Bukakis is for that. Because you know what? There's a lot of other fighters that say that's some bullshit shouldn't happen. No, I am of the Bukakis realm here. Look, any and all strikes should be available because this is mixed martial arts. It's to include everything. I'm still not happy that you can't use the 12 to 6 elbow because that does less damage than a looping elbow. A lot less damage. But, you know, what do I know? There's just physics behind that. Hats off to Bukakis. Hats off to Roundtree Jr. and his team, even though I called that fight the other way, thinking that fucking Bukakis was going to win because Roundtree is hit or fucking miss. But hats off to their team for being able to recognize that and him being to actually perform what they had worked on. So, it was crazy, crazy way to end a fight. You definitely don't see it going that way. It was it was a weird thing to watch. Yeah. Glad, yeah. I, glad I don't have to watch it again, though. Right. Yeah. No shit. I, I think the thing that tripped me out the most is that like when it happened, even my wife came in from the other room because I was losing my fucking shit. And as I explained to her enough to get her to fucking go la 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 and walk away <laughs> and came walking back into the living room here, they showed it on fucking replay again. No warning, no fucking triggers, no flashes. They just immediately cut right to the slow-mo as he's getting his shit snapped. Like, lost the my fucking That shit's not supposed to be in that way. Yeah, that that was one of those. Like, it legitimately gave me fucking shivers to my core watching that fucking strike. Oh, that being said, what's up, new kid? What's going on, folks? How's work? Uh, not too bad, man. Good deal. Good deal. We're almost done with the uh, the recap here. So that crazy fucking legitimate lunatic injury brings us into uh, one of the other better back and forth battles of the evening. Uh, Alex Morono versus David Zawada. Man, those two went back and fucking forth, but Alex Morono just had the edge everywhere that fucking fight went. He's starting to very much remind me of an early James Krause. Um, James Krause, if you go back and look, had a little bit of a rough time in his first couple fights, but as we saw and then found out with Alex Morono as well, uh, at least part of the reason why there might have been a little bit of issue with some of those early fights is because they have their own gym and are coaching literally a dozen other fighters. Alex Morono, to such an extent, he had a fighter he had to coach on one side or on the East Coast, uh, 
Thursday or Friday evening. No, Thursday evening. That's what it was. Flew out, made weight, fought Saturday, left Saturday afternoon after his fight because Saturday's fights were early. Left Saturday afternoon, flew from Vegas back home because Sunday morning he had another fighter competing back in Houston that he was going to be there to coach. Fight resume, regardless, that fucking level of dedication as a coach has to fuck off to you, sir. I see what you're doing here, and that definitely changes a little bit of retrospect on some of his earlier fights for me, at least a little bit. I'm not giving an excuse. I'm saying that makes more sense why we saw the performances that we did. That being said, uh, some of Alex Moreno's star pupils are one Ricky Tertios, who just won the ultimate fighter. So clearly Moreno's got a good fucking stuffing between his ears. We'll see what he can do in his personal career now that we've seen some of his students start to climb in as well. With that being said... That will bring us to the co-main event from last Saturday, Tom Aspinall versus the late replacement, Sergei Spivak, stepping in. I got to say, the fucking elbow that Tom Aspinall landed on Sergei Spivak's eye there was a lot in that fight that was important, but that elbow that he landed literally was a visible change in momentum that there was no going back from. When that elbow landed and you saw Sergey's eye split right the fuck open, there was a discernible difference in the entire feeling of that fight, and it was almost unstoppable at that point that Tom was on that fucking train riding that bitch to knock out Bill. Unfortunately, the polar bear got fucking worked. Uh, good for Tom Aspinall, but much like with Patty, much like with Jack Shore, much like with Molly, they have all still got work to do. People forget none of these guys are veterans in the UFC. They all might have a bunch of fights over in Cage Warriors. They, but they all might have a bunch of fights in other organizations, but all of these giant herd of British UK fighters that are coming over that were on Saturday's card are all still young to the UFC. So it's nice that a lot of them have their own coming hype train with them, but we also have to remember they're all still new to this level. So props to Tom Aspinall, but again, I, I want to see him get back in the fucking gym and slow, slow, slow roll up the ladder. And to his credit, that's exactly what he said. His literal call out was, I don't want anybody ranked. I'm not ready for that yet. I need to get my feet underneath me. Then we can put in the serious work. Again, very, very smart words on the microphone. So I'm very curious to see where Aspinall goes from here. Uh, and again, much like Patty, if he gets his shit together, if he fine-tunes that fucking game plan, that could be a very, very interesting heavyweight to see what he can do up there. Yeah, he's he's definitely got the fucking... He's got the right potential for heavyweight. And I say potential because, I mean, don't me wrong. The win over Spivak, that's a pretty big fucking win for him, to be quite honest. The Spivak, he was on a hot roll there for a minute and... To finish that one off, that that looks good on the resume right now, especially where he's at in the UFC. He's, what, three fights in now into the UFC, and all of them have been finishes. So, I mean, 
the dude the dude's got potential if he keeps that up he could definitely make his way up the ladder not to mention he does have the power to be in that fucking category thing the way he puts people out easily in the heavyweight category but he definitely needs a little more under him that's for sure although we'll say it was weird for me to think that the polar bear got put back on ice again right it was a little little odd but you know you can't win them all so that being said though uh that will bring us into the very odd main event that played out um i think there's a twofold answer i have for what happened saturday the first one Derek Brunson has got a lot of fucking work done down at Sanford with Henry Hill. And I will absolutely give credit where credit is due there. I don't like Derek Brunson. I've never liked Derek Brunson. I think that Cisco haircut makes him look like a fucking moron. But like I said, regardless of how I feel about it, I try and make a point to give credit where credit is due. And Henry Hooft and those boys down at Sanford have ground the bullshit for the most part off of what used to be the Derek Brunson that we knew. And he definitely had some better movements some better fucking striking and a lot better in moment fight IQ for the most part Saturday night. That being said, there is a part two to this story. Like I, like I said there, we found out after the fact and not even from Darren Till, but from Michael fucking Bisping of all people, which I thought was a little bit of a weird situation all the way around that, 10 weeks before this fight, Darren Till tore his ACL and did zero wrestling for the entirety of the camp. None, not a fucking lick, never put shoes on, never practiced a takedown, never fucking worked on a wizard, nothing. Zero wrestling completely in that camp. A, if that's true, Darren's a fucking idiot. B, if that's true, Darren's coach is a fucking idiot. Ten weeks out, he tears his ACL, and you're honestly going to send your fucking guy into a match with a wrestler having zero wrestling practice and a potentially not fully healed ACL tear? Spoiler alert, Derek Brunson wrestle-fucked the living daylights out of Darren Till how, when, where, and wherever he fucking wanted to Saturday night. Darren had no answer for anything Derek gave to him. And honestly, I was kind of impressed that Darren Till hung in there as long as he was because by the time the second round started, Darren Till had an apple hiding in his fucking cheek like a chipmunk. Uh, Derek had him fucking busted up from very early on in that fight and never really let off of him. And then in the end, because Darren just didn't do any fucking wrestling apparently and hasn't tried to even, you know, attempt any jujitsu or any groundwork period, apparently, uh, Derek Brunson was able to quite handily submit Darren Till Saturday night for a very handily won victory he really did not get much opposition from darren till and darren ironically was the only uk fighter on the card to really look bad genuinely the rest of the fighters from the uk 
Might not have been fucking title shot ready, but none of them looked terrible. Darren Till looked terrible Saturday night. Um, not in any stretch of the sense good enough on the other side of it that Derek Brunson should have gotten a fucking performance of the night bonus for that submission, but bad enough that Darren and his coach need to go sit have a fucking very serious conversation about how this train is going to roll forward. You know, the worst part of that, knowing what we know now about him with the ACL thing. One, yeah, that's fucking stupid to just not scrap the fight, do it at a later date. I get it. You got all these people from the UK that are going into the Apex Center, which is not generally something the public goes to. If you guys haven't noticed, the Apex Center has been pretty fucking hands off to everybody. They've made a few exceptions and done some adjustments and things so they can bring a few in. But there's no point in that. Fuck, you could have waited until they could have went back to the UK for this fight. That's all I'm saying. Or even fucking Dubai. Fuck. That's what? Four or five weeks out or something like that? Yeah. I mean, it's not far out at all. But, I mean, still, could have gave yourself ample time. One. And then two on this. Derek Brunson, I don't care what anybody says. They didn't get all the rough grinds off that motherfucker. He still looked like shit on his feet. <laughs> look, that goose egg, that fucking till had stuffed up in his cheek was not from the stand-up. It was from the ground and pound in the first round. From one elbow. One elbow. Not anything more. It was one fucking elbow. After yeah, that, no, he I'm just kind of laid I'm out. Not saying, I'm not saying overall. I'm saying compared to the Brunson we've seen previously, they ground some rough edges off. I can't even say that because I think he looked better because Till looked so fucking bad. That that could absolutely have a part to play in it as well. I, I agree. But with he that. he Till basically really wet blanketed him for three fucking rounds, which, yeah. to his credit, you did what needed to be done in order to get the W. Sure did. That's right, Darren. Look, I think Darren peaked already. And he's still young enough to where you think a fighter should peak. He peaked way back when he had a title shot. Well, in his defense, though, part of that reason that a lot of people don't realize is that just like you see in the post-fight press conferences, the reason he speaks such fucking fluent, liquid, smooth Portuguese is because when he was a teenager... He quite literally moved to South America with not knowing anyone, not having any fucking money in his pocket, not having any connections and forced himself to learn. So he actually started on his MMA journey, much like a Valentina and fucking Antonina as a child. So he might not have the UFC road miles, but he's got the road miles on him, even for such a young man as he is. Well, look at it this way. He's got the fucking road miles on him now in the UFC. It's not like they, he hasn't been there. He's been in some fucking tough fights. He's won right. some tough fights, but he's also lost quite a few at this point. To be quite honest, if you're looking at Darren Till as a fighter, you have to go back to fuck. Uh, when he fought Till. Or, or when he fought fucking Woodley, excuse me. When he fought Woodley for the fucking title, that was his peak performance. And he still ended up getting subbed in the fourth. 
So we're going back a ways here. So you're looking three years ago. I think he peaked then. Since then, he's not been the same fighter. Don't get me wrong. He is exciting to talk to. He's exciting on the mic. He's always got something to fucking say. Like He's a good sell, but you know, look, in his last four fights, he's won one. And that's since the Woodley fight. One in his last four. And that was against Kelvin Gastelum. And Kelvin Gastelum has obviously peaked as well, as we've seen. But he's lost to Bobby Knuckles, now Brunson, and Masvidal fucking KO'd him. That was after his loss to Woodley. Because everybody's like, oh, he's going to get this easy win over Masvidal. No, that was the beginning of Street Jesus. That was in 2019. People forget. That's not that fucking long ago. That was only two years ago when that happened. So in the last three years, he's really fallen the fuck off. Like he had a really good run up into the fucking title shot. I mean, even he was putting fucking work in. I mean, he fucking beat Wonder Boy. How many people can say that recently? You know, right. There's not a lot. I mean, he knocked out fucking Cerrone. Um, who else was on there? There was a fucking, he had a good fucking run up till his title shot and then just fucking well, that, has left the building. After that title shot, he started to really get plagued with injuries too, because aside from the ACL tear in this camp, the reason he had to pull out of his last fight against when he was originally scheduled to fight Marvin Vittori was because he broke his fucking collarbone, what, a week and a half before the fight? Yep. Training too hard. The one time he was actually fucking training wrestling, he broke his goddamn collarbone and had to pull out of that fight. And then what's he do the next fight? Getting put up against another wrestler, tears his fucking ACL and does zero wrestling. So, like, he's had several serious injuries in the last couple of years since he, and I agree with you, since he peaked back then. Um, it's, it's just, just it's, it's hard to watch, man. It really I is. Because it, it seems like he doesn't realize it. I, I enjoy, I still enjoy watching him, namely as a oh, person, because yeah. as a person, he's fucking hilarious, he trolls people, like, the thing he had with him and um, Aluminum Mike was fucking great, it's too bad nothing ever came to fruition with that, because that would have been a fucking funny-ass fight, just to, that would have been I'm the sure funniest been quarter after, during it, or after, or before, but, you mm. The worst part of this for me with Till looking so shitty is I think it makes Darren Brunson look like fucking gold when he's really not. He's a fucking shiny turd at best. Yeah. I mean, you can polish a piece of shit all you want, but it's still a piece of shit. That's all I'm saying. That's what it looked like. You can wet blanket somebody all day if they can't wrestle because their fucking ACL's blown. Look. Till really didn't take all of that much damage. Yes, you can point out the one giant goose egg, but after that, there was not really a whole lot of damage taken. Like at that point, at the end, when he got subbed, that was his last hurrah trying to get up so he could try to get Brunson on the feet again. After that, there wasn't that fucking rear naked choke that he got him with. There was no resistance. That was a Darren Till that said, you know what? Fuck it. Let's I'm sick of getting wet blanket. Let's just get this over with so I can move on. Yep. I get that. But it, it made the polished turd look better than a polished turd when he's really still a polished fucking turd. Yep. But, you know. It, I agree. It is what it is. It is a sh- it's pretty shitty when uh, the rest of um, the goddamn 
Brits did a lot better job of pulling the flag than the guy who's supposed to be the flagship here. But, you know, <laughs> this might be a changing of the guard. Maybe we'll see a fucking Tom Aspinall or a fucking Patty come in here and fucking carry the flag for the Brits. I'm right. guessing they'll probably push it more towards Patty because he's got more of a mouth and Tom's more of a, he's literally a fucking gentleman. You make, yeah. He makes me think of fucking a Bond type character with the way he's very precise almost, and short. Yeah, and almost overly, almost overly polite. Yeah. Yeah. I like agree. the epitome of a fucking a James Bond type fucking thing he's got going there. But, you know, fucking strange, strange times we live in. Not the fight I was expecting, although I w- was definitely not expecting uh, much, but I was not expecting that. Right. To be quite honest, I was kind of hoping that was going to be Till's comeback to get his shit back together, but, you know. Yeah, you and me both. You and me both. But um, I will say, for the first time in a while, I don't remember how many fucking weeks now, um, we genuinely got a fight of the night bonus excuse me live words and then two performance of the night bonuses like the fight gods intended like i said earlier uh molly mccann versus leon kim got that fucking fight of the night bonus good on you ladies um and then to the surprise of virtually no one the performance bonuses went to tom aspinall and patty pimblett so it it very much was a uk sweep on the bonus money um for last saturday night um i think we got a little bit too comfortable unfortunately in getting rationalized medical clearances because our medical suspensions for last week have come out um there was basically two categories that everyone got put into Uh, you didn't take very much damage uh you are suspended until the beginning of november or end of october uh Lots of October 20th, lots of October 20th, a couple of November 5ths. Um, the other category that, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people from that card got put into were you had an injury, you must be cleared by a doctor, or you are suspended until March 4th. There, there is no in-between. It's either you didn't take enough damage for you to worry about, We'll give you a couple of weeks or get your doctor to clear you or you're suspended until March 4th. Ridiculousness. Fucking ridiculousness. I, I, I do and will stand by the fact that the I'm No Joe Athletic Commission is much more reliable than the Nevada Athletic Commission. So that being said, uh, this will be the point where we jump into our tiny little trickle of news and fight announcement aka recent events for us to talk to you fine folks about before we get into our all punchy serving of the weekend um not a whole hell of a lot to go over here but a couple things that i do feel need to be mentioned um the first one and possibly one of the most i feel personally relevant stories um for the first time in oh jesus i think six years maybe seven years um Khabib Nurmagomedov made a public statement that I a hundred percent agree with and have zero opposition to he said and I quote 
ring girls are pointless. If you want to know what round it is, look up. You can see what round it is. I 100% agree. This is something we have been harping on here since we started this show. If you're not going to give us ring boys and fucking banana hammocks right out there next to the hoochies, hawking their discount only fans around the fucking ring to let me know that it's round three this time after the two previous rounds I just watched, I don't fucking want any of it. We've got digital clocks and digital fucking broadcasts with TV screens everywhere and every place that fights are put on now. We don't need ring girls anymore. I think the funniest part about this is that the head number one only fan, I mean, uh, ring girl for the UFC, Ariane Celeste, came out vehemently angry saying that Khabib and others like him don't seem to understand that A, ring girls don't make more than the fighters do, and B, they do more work promoting the organization than any marketing department ever could. A post on fucking Instagram does more PR than they than they fucking do. A single post. Yeah. So, I, I mean, obviously the entire cacophony of that fucking story is ridiculous, but I, I did want to publicly give mention that finally, almost a decade into his fucking publicity run, Khabib has finally said something that I can agree with and have no opposition to. That being said, um, we got the announcement here, kind of a, a two-piece announcement. Uh, there is one man in the combat world, just one in the entirety of the combat world, who has ever stopped Israel Adesanya. Not only has this man stopped Israel Adesanya, he's done it twice. He is also the only man in combat sports to have ever KO'd Israel Adesanya. Now, it was done in kickboxing. I will say that. This is not MMA. But he is the only man across any sport to have ever KO'd Israel Adesanya, period. And he holds not one but two victories over Izzy in kickboxing. That man's name is Alex Pereira. So Alex Pereira defended his glory kickboxing championship belt last Friday night. And that was the last fight on his contract. He is now expected to relinquish his belt, which is the free agency step, and then sign with the UFC. Not only is he expected to sign with the UFC, but here's the part two to that story. They have already got him a match booked and they are putting his debut on UFC 268. Before he was ever even signed, they had an opponent waiting and decided he's making his debut on a pay-per-view card. So they're going to throw him against Andreas Michelotta at UFC 268 on November 6th, uh, should all the paperwork go through. Um, at this point, there is no indication to think that there is any reason why it wouldn't. We are literally just waiting on ink to get put on paper and dry. Uh, that is going to make things very, very interesting in the middleweight division of the UFC. I promise you that much. 
just to be clear, the only paperwork we're waiting on is the actual fight paperwork. He's already yeah. signed paperwork. Signed He's already UFC. part of the UFC. Yes, he and Michelotta just have to sign their actual fight contracts, correct? He did sign the contract, fucking, and there was a nice little Instagram post up. Glad to be part of this organization. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's going to shake shit up a whole lot because there's mm. not a whole lot in the UFC that you can do, we've seen, to get in Izzy's head. Bringing in the only man to have ever knocked him the fuck out and the only man to hold two victories over him specifically to try and give Izzy competition over in the UFC might be one of the things that can rattle a little bit around it. You know what the craziest part of that signing is? I have yet to see Izzy make any sort of post about it. Not a word. He has been 100% radio fucking silent about it. I agree. That's what I'm talking about. We see Izzy comment on everything that happens in the news, fight-related or not. And this, of all things, he goes quiet on? Yeah. He fucking locked his mouth three-way the fucking key on this one. I'm going... Yeah, there there might be some ghosts in his fucking head there. Uh, I mean, there one hundred percent is the whenever whenever he was making his huge stride up to title contention, he did everything he could because videos of him getting knocked out made fucking headlines everywhere. Yeah. So he went to everywhere and tried his best to get every single video he could taken down. That's why you can't find videos of that shit fucking anywhere now. So there, be, so he's he's scared fucking shitless. I, that's what I'm saying. I think this might be the first time we legitimately see something get into Izzy's head since he's got to the UFC. And to be fair, this is something worth giving a fucking serious consideration about. For oh. as unstoppable as Izzy has looked in the UFC, this is quite literally the one weakness he tried to leave in his past and Dana White has openly brought to the forefront to show him again. It's great when the guy who praises you so much says, here, let me fuck with you and um, bring back ghosts from the past. And yep. Look, and make no mistake, this dude is coming from kickboxing. He is not coming from an MMA organization. Is it different? However, if he's worked on his ground game at all, good fucking luck, Izzy. Because yeah, well, Pereira has fought MMA before. He's four and one in MMA. He just went back to kickboxing. He dabbled a little bit and then went back to kickboxing because he was dominating fucking glory. So I, I get it. But he has had five fights in MMA before, and he's four and one. So he's got a little bit of an idea of what the difference is here. You know, for knowing that you're relinquishing a title, I want to know, the UFC had to offer him a pretty big fucking contract. I'm sure. And there's there's a similar story to this that we'll talk about at the end of the news here. There's another person who made a very similar move that we'll get to as well. But I agree. I think there was a fucking dump truck backed up somewhere. And they were like, look, we get it. You're making cute money and glory and you're famous. But uh, we can bring you in against a guy that you know you can beat, and we'll give you a bunch of fucking money and headlines to do it. He's like, oh yeah, and guaranteed they're gonna fast track that motherfucker straight to Izzy. Bet you bet if he beats the shit out of Michelotis, I bet he gets a fucking top ten guy, maybe a top five guy for his next fight. Oh yeah, because I mean, they want that to happen. They want something where they can have background and something to push Izzy to his brink. 
that's natural fucking drama, baby. That's a natural storyline. Yeah. I mean, in between in between just him relinquishing a title and his name carries a fuck little weight in combat sports. Regardless of a kit of his kickboxing or not, his name carries a lot of fucking weight and power. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out. That's that's kind of a big deal that kind of got swept over in the fucking MMA journalism this week because of all the crazy shit going down this weekend. But we got that news with the other part of a two-piece notification for UFC 268. Aside from officially announcing Alex Pereira and uh, Andreas Michalatis, should the fights get you know signed like we mentioned, uh, the other fight that they announced that is already signed and being added to UFC 268 is Shane Burgos coming back off that crazy fucking delayed knockout from Edson Barboza stepping in against Billy Quarantillo. That's got a lot of interesting potential there as well. So they're definitely starting to put some work in for 268. Uh, I like that matchup. I really like that. I I do as well. I do as well. I think if, if Shane can work on keeping his fucking hands in front of his face a little better, that could be real interesting because he can handle some wrestling and you know, Billy's going to throw it at him. And both of those boys they, this could be, for both of them, a really good springboard for both of them because both of those names are starting to become well-known in the MMA circles now. And not just in circles, but even certain casuals are starting to pick up on them because they've made some highlights for themselves, and so they're out there. That, it, that has springboard and possible numbers, uh, fighting guys numbered ahead of them. Sir, I agree 100%, man. I, I think it's going to be a great matchup. As I say, they're stacking 268 pretty fucking well so far. So from there, we got an announcement for the following week after that for the November 13th card. They have added Roman Delize stepping back in against your boy, Eric Anders, which is another very interesting potential matchup again to see, uh, much like Kevin Lee, where Eric Anders fits into all of this. Uh the following week after that, we got a very exciting announcement for the November 20th card. Sean Brady stepping back in after dodging that Kevin Lee fight to take on none other than the Maverick himself, Michael Chiesa. That, I think, will be a fucking spectacular fight, provided Brady is actually 100% back and ready to go, because we know Chiesa's going to be. A uh, little bit later in the year, announcing some end of the year fights here we got an announcement for the december 4th ufc card uh jamal hill coming in from that almost fucking certain leg destruction that turned out to, or elbow destruction rather that turned out to literally just be a popped out of place fucking joint from uh the bear jew uh jamal hill is getting back into action against a possibly even more dangerous opponent in the form of jimmy crute I am very, very excited because Jamal Hill was not a bad prospect at all. He just ran into a very motivated Bear Jew, and that can frankly be a bad night for anybody. Uh, The problem is is that Jimmy Crute is a much younger version of the danger that the Bear Jew represents, and I feel maybe even a level above where Paul Craig is and still climbing on his way up to his peak. So... If Jamal Hill is really back and he's really healed and it was just a fucking dislocation and everything's still good to go, 
this could be a really interesting fight. If he's not, on the other hand, and there's any kind of a hiccup or any kind of gun shyness from being submitted from that fucking arm pop, Jimmy Crude is going to be a bad motherfucker to Jamal Hill because he can strike, he can wrestle, and he has jujitsu. He could submit you as well. So that has potential to be a very, very interesting fight all the way around. Uh, after that, we got a duo of fight announcements to wrap this up here. The December 11th UFC 269 nice card got a pair of announcements this week. The first one, Tony Kelly stepping back in against a very interesting prospect from the Beantown crew, Randy Costa. That's going to be a very interesting matchup. Uh, the other half of that announcement, another very interesting matchup, Andre Mooney's coming in off of his defeat of one Jacare Souza, trying to see what he's really made of, stepping up against a newfound badass in Drikus Duplessis. That's going to be a real interesting fight because Duplessis is a bad motherfucker that just slid right under the radar for a long fucking time, but as he made his name very distinctly pronounceable in his last victory, it's about to become a household name if he stays on this path. Time to see if Muniz is really made of what he said he was or if he got lucky against an aging Jacare, because this could be that test. <laughs> so that will bring us to the last announcement that I've got for the new segment here that I alluded to a little bit earlier. Um, much like an Alex Pereira, we had a second other organization champion announced this week that he was relinquishing a belt to go into free agency to sign with a new organization. Kind of a household name among some of us older, more hardcore folks. One Kyoji Horiguchi has officially announced that he is relinquishing the Ryzen belt and he is officially a free agent. Now, to be fair, this was yesterday that he announced that he was going to do this. We have since then, just an hour and a half ago, got an update to that story. Not only did Kyoji Horiguchi, excuse me, Horiguchi officially relinquish his Ryzen bantamweight title and his contract therein with Ryzen and enter free agency, he has already signed with a new organization, the one he originally anticipated when he said he was going to relinquish the belt. He said he wanted to do so in an attempt to get a rematch with Sergio Pettis, the man that holds the belt that he never officially relinquished. He was stripped of when all that shitstorm played out back in the day. Well, Sergio's got that belt now, and Horiguchi has officially relinquished his Ryzen belt and signed with Bellator. So he is officially coming back for that belt, and the only man to defeat Kyoji Horiguchi in the UFC on a 7-1 and one run was one Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, after which the UFC let him go. And he went to Japan, where they paid him handsomely to be a bad motherfucker and decimate dudes and risings for the last couple of years. So there is that. And now he has officially relinquished that billet or that uh, rising belt rather relinquished his contract with Ryzen and officially signed with Bellator coming back for that 135 pound strap. So shit's about to get real interesting over in the Bellator world. 
Uh, give me one moment here. I'll be right back. I got a dog barking at me in the sprout. That's all right. Well, you go do that. I got something else to talk about. This is something that I thought we should bring up because I just now coming into the news here in the last 48 hours or so. And this is going to be a real weird pull together with the UFC um, for this reason. Just then the only reason I want to talk about it is because I have a feeling there's going to be some pushback from a one Dana White. And that has to do directly with U.S. politics and vaccinations. Biden has decided he's going to pursue any company that employs more than a thousand people or more than a hundred people, I think it was, whatever the number was, that is required that everyone that works for that company must be vaccinated. Show proof thereof or show that they are in line to get it, whatever the case may be. So that is going to be pushed, which, okay. Where that comes into play is, how many employees does the UFC have? And knowing goddamn good and well that somebody who's been fighting those types of things is a one Dana White. As in, we're going to do things whichever way we can. And the, the thing where this really comes into play is he is also going to be pushing a mandate to make sure that any and all venues you are required to show proof of vaccination in order to attend. Whereas Dana White has openly said, fuck New York. We're not going there if they're going to require vaccinations. We'll find somewhere else. Same. It's, it's something that's out there. It's a little strange. So I have a feeling we're going to see some pushback from the USC. I don't know what that's going to allow them. But, you know, it's either that or they're going to say, you know what? Fuck it. Everybody's going to become a permanent contractor. And... That way, we don't employ anybody. They're just contractors. I was going to say, I'm wondering how that's going to play out with the uh, subcontracting bullshit contracts that they've been talking about the UFC uses. So, Yeah, see, uh, that's where I thought it was funny. But I was like, they also have permanent employees, though, because who moves the shows? Who does all their truck work and camera work? The PI crew. PI crew. Yeah, those are all employees of the UFC. So I'm going... I'm wondering if they're going to hit that magic number. And if not, or if so, how's Dana going to deal with that? Because Dana is pretty much the face of the organization. Look, it's right. it's well known that he doesn't own the thing. He's got a share in it, but he does not own it. Right. But he is the face, the mouth, the everything of the UFC. So I'm sure there'll be some sort of pushback or some sort of powwow for them to make a workaround. But I'm more concerned with, I think this takes away the possibility of live events and crowds again. Um, because Dana White will openly say, fuck you, like he did to New York. As in, screw you, we're not going to fight there if people are required to show vaccination. Right. Of course. There'll be a lot of shows at the Apex, a lot more than we already have. Yeah, which, hey, it's either that or we're going to spend a lot more time on Fight Island, guys. Yeah, that as well. That as I just well. thought it was something worth mentioning during the news segment since you had time to step away there. Because, you know, knowing how Dana White is, I know that's going to cause some stirs and some fucking right. 
So definitely well, and the other part of it, Valkyrie. the other part of it is apparently how they got Michael Chandler to fucking officially sign his fight bout to to fight Gaethje at MSG, uh, the end of ne- or beginning of next month, uh, because New York has officially allowed a athletics exemption, so athletes can officially be exempt from that vaccination requirement. So that might be how the UFC gets around it: is that everyone who's literally not an office worker gets deemed an athlete on the UFC roster, all the fucking workers, all the fucking riggers, all the guys who carry the show, all the fucking roadies essentially for the UFC get deemed athletes now so that they all get exemptions. And that might be a workaround too. They might have that kind of power where they go, Hey, you're now a professional athlete. Yeah. You just became a fighter, son. <laughs> yep, You're, you're going to stay in our um, stable. So if we call you and say, Hey, we need a fighter. We're not actually looking for a fighter. We just need you to move this cage and set this mat up. Right. Yeah. You're going to do all the exact same things you did before, but now we're going to call you a fighter. <laughs> and you're going to technically be a subcontractor. Right. Yeah. Cause that was my thought. I was like, I have a feeling Dana would pull some shit like that. Well, well, you know, we'll keep it a very slim roster of how many people we actually employ by making everybody subcontractors. Yeah, they're all still going to get a paycheck directly from us, but yep. they're going to be subcontractors. Yep. Where you're going to sign a fucking contract with them. Say, hey, yeah, I work for you, but I am technically self-employed. Right. Make sure you pay your own taxes, motherfucker. Right. Okay, so... That being said, that will bring us into the spot where the audio listeners are going to miss out on the sweet gif that all of our viewers on YouTube get to see to let them know that we are now entering the pit. So, that being said, before we proceed with our pit shenanigans for this all punchy, no kicky weekend. Uh, now that the kid has arrived, the I'm no Joe Pitt Athletic Commission Tribunal met earlier this evening live on YouTube. We have taken a poll, and I want you to know that of all of the members of the commission that were polled, you did get one vote to be able to keep your win. Unfortunately, though, as the tribunal and every other member of the commission did vote, we have unanimously agreed that based on your stance from Jonathan Martinez in your game-winning point for last weekend's victory and Jonathan Martinez's subsequent weight, miss, and fight cancellation as a result of that, we have agreed to nullify that point bringing last weekend's episode of The Pit to the first ever no contest. You now officially have a record of one, two, and one, sir. You are part of the official first no contest. It was a group decision. No one individual had any one hand to play in it to keep things fair. He's not crying, so I think we're moving forward. I'm okay with that. All right. As long as everybody's okay with that and we're on the same page here, we will move forward with this evening's edition of the All Punchy Pit. Now, unfortunately for the viewers, we do not have a whole terrible lot 
to get excited about this weekend. But we do, however, still have some things that we can talk about here. Tomorrow night, we have BKFC 21 going down from Omaha, Nebraska, headlined by Dakota Cochran versus Mike Richmond, co-main evented by Sam the Hammer Shoemaker versus Josh the Hammer Burns. And then Saturday on September 11th, for some fucking reason, Triller has decided to keep their pay-per-view Legends League boxing card afloat with late-notice replacement Evander the Real Deal at 58 Holyfield versus Vitor TRT Tor Belfort in a professional boxing match somehow sanctioned by the Florida Athletic Commission co-main evented by one Anderson the Spider Silva taking on Tito the Huntington bad bad motherfucker Ortiz in again a professional boxing match so we do have events this weekend both of them all fisticuffs quite literally so the good news is we have something to talk about the bad news is it's those two things that being said as is the case every week, we soldier on regardless. So, with this particular episode at hand, the first question I will ask to you fine gentlemen, which is the case more often than not here on the pit, between these two ridiculous fucking cards that we have to look forward to, I say that loosely, this weekend, which to you is the most overhyped fight of the weekend? And coming off of a no contest here, I'm going to flip a coin to see who gets this question first. TJ, you will have the question first. One minute to you, sir. Most overhyped fight of the weekend, please. Immediately, without question, Anderson Silva, Tito Ortiz. Why in the fuck was this ever made? Dumbest shit ever. Why? Like, there's no point in that other than Tito needed money to pay off fucking some sort of fines that he got from being a cocksucker while he was trying to work, dabble in politics. That's my guess. Either way, fucking terrible. I'm okay with seeing Anderson's over there, but it's the Tito Ortiz factor that fucks it. Completely fucks it. So that one right there, period. Interesting. Interesting stance. I can agree with that. So that will bring the question back to you, Mr. RJ. One minute on the clock, please, sir. Your most overhyped fight of the shit show we have to look forward to. All right. I'm going outside the box like I did last week. Um I'm in agreement with the ideology that I like that I want to see Anderson Silva still active. I don't want to see him active on Triller and fuck the entirety of Triller with a liar and a 90-year-old man that is almost on his fucking deathbed and somebody who his name needs to be changed to the Huntington Beach tax fraud bad boy. It's it's all fucking stupid. The entirety of that entire card and the date you put it on is a fucking slap in the face to America. That is all. 
I can agree with that as well. Here we go. So, dot I cross T carry the one. So we will give round one after close consideration here to the young kid. RJ gets the point for round one. As is the case again, more often than not here on the pit. Our round two question, gentlemen, the antithesis of our first question. What is the most slept on fight of the weekend? The one shining glimmer in the pile of shit that might make the weekend worth tuning in for. RJ, you'll get this one first, sir. Uh, okay. So I'm going with uh, over on the BKFC side. I'm going with the... Uh, well, not well. It's kind of slept on the Ryan Roberts uh, George Gonzalez fight because they are they are two pretty good, well rounded fucking fighters. They have, both have a very decent resume under their belt. So I think that it that is going to be a fucking fantastic fight to watch. Um. Other than that, that's the only fight I can really think that's been slept on, slept on pretty hard, sadly. Interesting point. Interesting point. Okay. With that being said, golf team, the question comes back to you, sir. In your opinion, the most underhyped fight or the most slept on fight from either of these shit shows of the weekend, sir. Surprisingly enough, I'm not going to use the BKFC card here even though they have a lot more fights to choose from. I think the most slept on fight, well, I'll say, won't say slept on, but underrated fight is because there's a chance for you guys to go out and watch a former two division boxing champion by the name of David Hay get his return to action. So, I mean, he gets a chance to go out there and punch again. That's all the more reason to watch David Hay versus Josh Fournier. I mean, you actually get a legitimate boxer for a fucking change on trailer. So just saying that's that's worth the not the price to watch the shit. But if you're gonna pick uh underhyped fight, I think that's the one because you'll actually get somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. Um, and the plus side, he gets to fucking beat up a fucking millionaire. Why the fuck not? just saying that's good times and not to mention heavyweights there's a good chance of somebody sleeping it's probably I, I not absolutely agree. i absolutely agree so all right so the point for round two we will give to golf team uh i can't believe that they are not making a bigger deal of Haymaker getting back in there and beating up the billionaire douchebag that he's going to. It could make for some very, very interesting highlight reels, provided Haymaker still got it. Uh, he's not giving us any real reason to show that he hasn't, but Father Time makes a bitch of us all eventually. So we could be just getting all sold up on the hype. But I, I agree. I'm kind of excited to see if Haymaker can put Fournier on his fucking ass. So with that being said, that will bring us to round three. So with round three, gentlemen, I would like to know, in your opinion, 
of the two bullshit entrees that we have to choose from here, which of the two has the better co-main event this weekend and why? Golfy, this one will be yours again first, sir. Well, without a shadow of a doubt, we immediately have to Nick's trailer. That's got Tito Ortiz in it. Done. You don't even have to say more than that. Fucking I'm quitting right there, period. Short to the point. Understandable. So, <laughs> RJ, over to you. Best co-main event of the weekend, sir. I'm in I'm in 100% agreement. So fucking uh Shoemaker and and Burns fight. I mean, one I do believe the original the original fight got canceled because of COVID. So this is a this is a run it back. Let's try and get this going back. So there's a little bit of hype there just on that fight and in and of itself. And those guys are fucking big meathead fucking murderers. They are. I mean, you you can't you can't pick against that. All right. Well, as much as I do agree 100% fuck Tito and fuck Triller, um, one thing that I will say is not getting enough coverage here. Uh, Josh Burns is actually, aside from the fact that he called Sam Shoemaker out saying that the first time the fight got canceled, he didn't really have COVID, which is kind of weird because he was in the hospital and shit. So it's like there's, there's medical records. So there's that to make you look dumb. But as if that wasn't enough, uh, Josh Burns actually yesterday challenged Sam Shoemaker to make this not only the fight that should have been, but the fight for the name of the hammer, because they both use the moniker, the hammer. Josh Burns has declared after this fight, one's nickname got to go. Only one hammer in the BKFC. For that reason, I got to give RJ the point for round three here. I don't think it's going to be a great fight, but I am excited to see one of those dipshits stop calling themselves a hammer because neither one of them should really have that name. <laughs> so with that being said, that brings us to round four. And as you may have caught by now, we have a bit of a theme in the questions that we use for the pit here. So in the antithesis to our round three question, gentlemen, I would like to know this weekend, who do you feel has the best main event? of the two shit shows. RJ, this one will be yours, sir. Again, I got to go BKFC because neither one of them are a liar that try to say that I've trained with the Brazil Olympic team and the other one isn't 97 years old. I don't care how good your record is that was 27 years ago man it's time to stop trying to act like a boxer understandable so tj that'll bring it back over to you sir better main event of the two we have to choose from this weekend I'm going to go completely opposite here. What I, what my fucking gut instinct tells me to do, which is perfectly fine here, because they're both shit. But I'm actually going to go with fucking Holyfield. 
Belfort. Not because of Belfort. Belfort, shit show, fucking way too much fucking horse meat in his diet, son of a bitch. But more so because Holyfield hasn't touched a ring in fucking 10 years. He's been out of boxing games since 2011 was the last time he had active competition. This is kind of bringing us back to that um, glory of the old die fight league thing that we're always fucking calling this, which to be quite honest, I wouldn't mind because I would like to see more of these guys like Holyfield and Tyson who are still fucking game enough to get in there and fight other guys that are of that same caliber. And I say caliber, meaning guys that are of their same age the Belfort replay or the fucking Holyfield replacement thing a little bit fucking weird but hey whatever it is what it is uh, to be quite honest I'd rather watch an old Holyfield over the shitty main card that or the main fucking event that they have at BKFC any day and not to mention there's a very good chance because Vitor Belfort is not actually a boxer that Holyfield can still work his ass because guess what? You watch guys like fucking Mike Tyson come back and do his shit. He still looked pretty good at his fucking age. So I have to give the old guys some credit here and say, I think Holyfield can get it done. It's worth watching the old guy, especially if you young kids haven't actually ever watched him fight. It's worth watching just for that. Right. Very interesting. Very interesting. So... One scratch the two. So the point for round four will go to golf tee. Uh, that will tie us all up at two apiece and bring us to round five, the sudden death point off. So we have got our fifth and final question here, gentlemen. Of the two shit shows we have to look forward to this weekend, in your opinion, which of the two is the better value for their entertainment dollar? BKFC on Friday night for $4.99 on Fight TV or Holyfield versus Belfort slash Anderson versus Tito on Saturday evening for $49.99. Being as how we unfortunately do not have a returning champion this week, I will flip a coin again and see who gets this one first. RJ, you'll get this one first, sir. Better value for the folks fight dollars this weekend. Better value is going to be BKFC. I mean, one, yeah, a lot of those fights aren't that fucking great. A lot of them are people that have pretty bad records, but there's there's a little handful in there that are pretty fucking good. Oh, did he freeze mid-answer? Oh, oh. Oh, did my internet grow down again? Am I you back? Did, but I, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of time back. You're back now. Fuck. My, my, my goddamn internet's been fucking up lately. I just you're, thought you were really excited to point at your curtain for a second. You're, you're pretty much 
entirely paying for Triller for their colorful commentary and music that you can watch for free on YouTube. That's about fucking it. I mean, if you take that out, they'd probably they'd probably fucking charge you maybe twenty bucks if you take if you take out thirty minutes of fucking music and the commentary booth. If you put fucking actual boxers in there, you probably probably run that down to twenty bucks. I'm gonna go four bucks. Watch actual people that this is their entire life, not people that this was my life. Let me make a run back, and this isn't my life, but let me go to boxing because I'm 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 done with MMA. Valid point. Valid point indeed, sir. All right. So, Golf Tee, the question comes back to you, sir. Better value for the fight dollar this weekend between our $5 BKFC Friday and our $50 Triller show Saturday. I'm going to make this very short, very sweet. If you're going to pay for either one, pay for BKFC for this reason. Who wants to pay fucking $50 to listen to fucking an ex-president commentate on shit he doesn't know anything about. Good data. Very understandable point. Uh, I completely forgot that he was going to be on the commentary booth. That's why I didn't mention anything in it earlier. Uh, it I mean, obviously is a piece newsworthy, but we did not mention it in the news segment in the event. Someone may have used that to make their point for the final round here. Um, so points being tallied, eyes being dotted, T's being crossed. The point for round five and winner for this particular evening's edition of The Pit is Golf Tee Vapes, the returning champion. Uh, I specifically did not mention in the news and recent events segments, uh, Triller will have full seven and a half hour long live commentary by none other than Donald P. Drumpf himself on the microphone. Aside from the fact that the Triller show is really a seven hour concert full of people that you don't want to watch, let alone pay for, listening to that fucking dude drone on about shit that he quite literally has no knowledge of over the top of what is already going to be mostly unentertaining evening fights. I, I got to agree. So we, we are going to have to go with golf tee. That means he is once again, the pit champion, fair play, good round, good match to RJ. Can I, can I, Valiantly fought, sir. Can I like add just 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 two two things because they need to be said real quick. Absolutely. One, you said seven hours. You mean two hours of fighting, five hours of music, and uh, BKFC. Yeah. What the what, whatever the fuck you got going on? You really need to like like get your shit back in gear. Start putting some fucking good fights together because there's only three fucking fights that are watch worthy on a card of a nine fights. You have the the third to last fight is Houston Alexander and Wes Combs, who are guys that used to fight in the UFC that haven't fought in like nine fucking years. But you give them a, a a contract to fight for BKFC for what reason? 
and I mean, then it, to be fair, it's an old guys fighting kind of weekend. I mean, like I get it. I get it. I respect that. But dude, you're way out of your game. Both of them lost like the last six of their fucking fights. And everything after that, you can go to any fight. None of them are watchworthy. The only one that's watchworthy that's not that top three is fucking the Ryan Roberts and uh, Gonzalez fight. That's the only one that's actually fucking watchworthy. BKS, BKFC, you need to get your fucking shit together. I agree. I agree. Houston Alexander was never anything really tout about when he was in the UFC. And now that he's fighting the worst Undertaker cosplayer I've ever fucking seen, just, just, it holds no, that's no like, a, for me. that's really a mixture between the Undertaker and Tank Abbott. Whenever you really look I, at him, I thought so. I thought so as well. I think if he would have lost the bandana and trimmed the beard more, he would have been Tank, but he's kind of like in between. He's not really sure which one he was going he's for. In, so he's like yeah. Tank Undertaker. No, that Under there's Abbott. a, I, I, I was just about to say that's uh, uh Undertaker Abbott. Yeah. Under yeah, under no, wait, under tanker Abbott. You gotta throw you the go. mixture. <laughs> oh, but that being said, we are going to go ahead and call that all for this particular episode of the I'm No Joe podcast. I would like to thank you all for tuning in, whether you are here with us live in the chat, we see you and we love you guys, or you are catching this on the replay a week later over on anchor.fm slash I'm No Joe. We appreciate you just the same. That being said, before we get all the fucking way out of here, if folks would like to get a little more information on that training regiment you have got going, Mr. Young Gunner, how can they get a hold of you once the show has ended, sir? You can always go over to Instagram at RJMMA official. Hit me up over there. Catch me here on YouTube on Tuesdays on uh, Meter's channel, Wednesdays over at Golf T Vapes channel, and Thursdays here. Since I was not here earlier to plug it, over at our Discord channel, which has been scrolling down at the bottom of the screen for everybody that's watching this on YouTube. And down in the link in the description, in YouTube, in this video, in all of our videos pretty much at this point, you can find, you can go over there, hit us up on I'm No Joe Discord channel. You can see all the news and recent events that is not worthy enough to be brought on this show and plug in the fan Q&A segment. Go over there, drop some questions to any one of us in particular or just to the sh- to the, the the three of us gentlemen the two bearded and the one that's working on it you can you, you can ask away you can ask why my beard shit i mean that's a great question i mean i wasn't gonna go there but if you will it's okay i feel like somebody's actually gonna ask that <laughs> well that being said Uh, If some folks needed some directions on where they might find themselves a Kenosha Crippler now that he's back and maybe get themselves some delicious fried cheese curds on their way about their journey, how can they get a hold of you after the show's over, Mr. Golf T? Wednesday nights, right here on YouTube's 9.30 Central Time. And of course, here every Thursday that I can possibly be here. Got to have something to talk about even when it's... um, giant douche or turd sandwich you gotta fucking you gotta vote that's all i'm saying it's a terrible choice here but you this weekend but you know we're coming back around we'll have 
UFC on the 18th. So we got next week, we'll have something better to talk about. I say better loosely, but definitely better than what's going on this weekend by far. But yeah, every Wednesday, every Thursday, you know, we're here. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Always appreciate it. And with that being said, that is all we've got for this particular episode. So if you are so inclined, you can follow I'm No Joe on all social media platforms, Facebook, I'm No Joe, Instagram, I'm No Joe. If you are listening to our dulcet tones over on anchor.fm slash I'm No Joe, you can also catch us in video format doing this live every Thursday night, 9.30 p.m. Central Time-ish over on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash I'm No Joe. You appreciate what we do around here patreon.com slash i'm no joe to help support what we do gives you access to the behind the scenes stuff the unaired and the literally unairable things that we just can't actually put out on youtube for you guys and it helps us do what we do here that being said if you do appreciate what we do give us that thumbs up down below make sure you are subscribed and hit that notification bell so you do not miss an episode if you do not like what we do here why the fuck are you still watching this far into a goddamn episode just give us a thumbs down and go the fuck away that being said That's all we've got for this particular episode. So until next time, boys and girls, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. Unless you think I'm taking a horse dewormer. Do I say goodbye to what?